Welcome to the Business Design Podcast, the podcast that helps entrepreneurs design and build businesses that succeed on their own, even if you take a six-month vacation. We're your hosts, Ian, John, and Scott, and we're here to share the successes and pitfalls of many entrepreneurs like you and equip you to make daily progress in your business. So we're here with Jeremy Hitchcock. Uh, Jeremy is the CEO and co-founder of Dine. And Dine is an infrastructure as a service company. They provide DNS and email services to many well-known internet companies like Twitter, Netflix, Zappos, among many, many others that you've probably heard of. Um, The company is based in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Jeremy. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So I met Jeremy in San Francisco this past year at the launch festival that Jason Calacanis puts on. And I had a few minutes to talk to him um, after one of his talks and really felt like I connected with a lot of the things that he went through with Dine and thought it would be nice to have a a deeper conversation, talk just a little bit more in depth about uh, some of the things that he ran into and and how he got past those. Dine has had quite a bit of success uh, to this point, have a, a significant number of employees, and just uh, 2012, they ended up raising some uh, VC money. So he has a lot of experience that we can all learn a lot from. So Jeremy graciously accepted my request for an interview, and here we are. So first, I'd like to talk a little bit just about you, Jeremy, and, and, and your background. So you went to Worcester Polytechnic Institute and studied computers. Were you always interested in computers as a kid and just growing no, up? actually... I, well, I guess I was always interested in computers. My, my dad was an electrical engineer, so there was always uh, stuff to tinker uh, around the house. And, and I remember the first, uh, you know, the SLIP and UUCP accounts and BBSs and, and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff and, and have a similar story. Uh, but I actually started WPI as a chemistry major and just kind of got sucked into the world of computing and what people were doing on the Internet in the uh, early 2000s. Okay. And that's how you met your other co-founders at Dine too, is that right? Yeah, it was right around when open source was starting to become a big thing, and and we were uh, we had this idea for remote access and staying out of the cold, and uh, and and things got going from there. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind, could you explain a little bit exactly what Dine started as? Because I know it's evolved into something a lot bigger than than when you first began it. Yeah, so we started off as as a project where uh, if you can think back before kind of the go to meetings and, and log me in and go to my PCs and all those others, addressing computers on kind of the, the network basis was, was actually a non-trivial task. And for people who wanted to access uh, computers remotely across different networks, it was, was really challenging. I mean, Novell and a bunch of Lotus and a bunch of other companies were doing it kind of on a local basis, but doing it on the WAN side was, was kind of challenging. And so... We're in uh, we're in Worcester and it's cold out during the winter and you'd work on a lab paper in one spot you'd print it in a different spot and you'd turn it in in a third spot and we said you know what we could really kind of cut off one of those uh, one of those trips out in the cold if we could just access the computer remotely and uh, worked on some technology that allowed us to do that and basically the, the addressing system of the internet called DNS and released it as an open source project that was running as a service and. Uh, run it for a while and, and it started to, to gather a pretty good following. 
Yeah, I remember actually signing up for Dine DNS pretty early on, must have been. Um, I don't even remember how I heard about it. I think I was just looking for some way to access my computer remotely, and, and Dine was the obvious answer. So it's been a very early free customer. <laughs> um, well, thanks. We, we, we we're hopefully still taking good care of you. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, now, did you always see yourself as an entrepreneur and wanting to start a company, or is it something that just kind of, I guess, happened? Yeah, it, it kind of just happened, and, and I was actually working on a, a business plan with somebody else, uh, working on, on GIS data. Uh, I was working on some of the data aspects of it, and we, we actually submitted and, and won a business plan competition, but this this project kept uh, kept taking up more and more time, and, and uh, uh, we actually kind of got to a place where we said, you know what, we're, we're, we're sort of sick of this. We're sort of sick of supporting all these users, this consumer technology, and people just wanted to run all the time. and we always had this donation page, and nobody really kind of paid attention to it. We'd get you know a little bit of pizza money or whatever. Um, so we we eventually sent uh, an edict out and said, all right, each of you need to give us what's a really big number for a college kid, a dollar <laughs> each times twenty-five thousand dollars. So you need to give us collectively twenty-five thousand dollars, or we're going to shut this project down in four weeks. And after. Uh, after four weeks and seeing these 10 and 20 and 50 and 100 dollar increments coming in and uh, donated hardware of all sorts and, and shapes and magnitude and didn't know what half of it was, uh, we raised forty thousand dollars and we felt, you know, pretty morally obligated to uh, to keep running the open source project. Yeah, that's it's a cool story. It's almost a Kickstarter before Kickstarter, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is really cool to see see that the uh, you know the the barrier and, and kind of success. Of, of Kickstarter and all those other things have really, uh, you know, have really taken off since then. Yeah, exactly. Um, have you followed the lean startup movement and I guess all the different things with the minimum viable product and um, product market fit and, and some of those uh, principles? Yeah, and, and in fact, you know, we were, we were doing a lot of it or some of it before it, it really became kind of themed and, and you know, a mem around it. Uh, and so it's kind of exciting to see that that a lot of the the early toiling away of trying to figure all that stuff out, you know, it's a lot lot easier and a lot lot more accessible to to talk about that and to think, you know, how do you start a company? Yeah, I think a lot of companies like yours have really, I guess, set a precedent for the fact that this really does work, and then it's really just a matter of putting some vocabulary to it and really, I guess, just figuring out exactly um, how we talk about it. So it's it's yeah, it's neat to hear stories about companies that were doing it well before it existed. Uh, yeah, and, and for us, I mean, it, it probably if if we knew about that stuff, it you know, we and we had a we had a great time. I mean, we we probably lived the first half of our, our of our life uh, as kind of a lifestyle company, but you know, we we had this epiphany in 2003 that was like, you know what, we could we could have these services that would kind of expire every once in a while instead of you know selling kind of this perpetual ability to use a software as a service. Uh, you know, maybe maybe it should be like an annual subscription. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was a a huge dialogue about whether or not that was right or wrong and whether you know, consumers and our users were actually you know, familiar and comfortable with that type of model, uh, but it was you know a good solid couple years before we we went through that software as a service and Salesforce.com was just kind of starting up, so it was it was a really kind of exciting time uh, during you know really not not terribly great macroeconomic times and kind of the recession of 2001, 2002, 2003. Right. Yeah, and that was really a new idea. Um, now. I know for, for in my company, hiring the first 
outside person, the non-founder person was a big deal. It was a really difficult decision to make to jump to that. Um, we were really turning into a real company when we did that. How, what was that like for you? And what was that first person that you ended up hiring? Yeah, it, it was really tough because uh, we we had a lot of good development talent between the co-founders, but you know, one of the things that uh, that made it even more, I think, difficult was it was it was a client services person, and so it was a somebody who could really represent kind of the way we interacted with customers. And you know, I think now there's there's much more appreciation for good customer service. Like that's a that's a differentiation. Right. So finding somebody who who was kind of like a you know a support engineer or a tier two or a tier three type of support person. Um, you know that that was a that was both a, a, a tough hire and it was a, a tough thing to kind of let go and let that person write responses that were not moderated or checked or, or reviewed, um, and it was a great adjustment for the team as well because you know we had to figure out who was managing them and, and how we were running that and you know all all the other kind of legal and logistical things of you know, how do you pay somebody and office and benefits and all that kind of stuff. So it was it was a uh, it was definitely kind of the, the start of a started something new for us yeah definitely um now as a new founder especially i guess in an area where there's not a lot of other companies that are doing the same thing as you it can be hard to find business advice and to know who to talk to um how did you deal with that did you have any mentors nearby who helped you with i guess making some of these early decisions yeah there i mean there were people that we we would talk to um but kind of a, they weren't certainly super analogous. They weren't one-to-one -one of like, there was somebody who was starting a company who, who looked like us, who was doing exactly like what we were doing. Um, you know, at that point, really everybody had kind of entrenched. And so no tech companies were, were really being started around that time. The investor community had, had pretty much written off internet companies as, as kind of a general theme because uh, of all the pets.com and all the other kind of crazy stories that happened in the late nineties. Uh, so, we turned to people who were just good business people. Um, you know, there was you know, somebody who was running a metal processing company and took great care of his employees and uh, had a really loyal employee base. And so, you know, great advice from from that guy, Terry Robinson. Um, and, and just kind of kept talking with other people and, and looking for good advice on, on a really ad hoc basis. Yeah. Did you find that people were pretty willing to talk to you for the most part? Yeah, I, I think one thing that is really underappreciated is if you have a direct question and you're really and you, you make it known like hey i'm i'm seeking advice from you because you know xyz and i would really like to have the answer to that people are usually pretty helpful and, and i remember you know we were, we were a couple of us were still students at the time i remember one of the professors because yeah you know, we also got some help from some of the people at wpi um just answering questions they said when you lose your student status, you lose that kind of merit badge of, hey, I'm a student, I want to learn. Um, and well, that is true. I think I think if you if you present yourself as a student and you're, you're looking to learn and, and you really have kind of a, just the, the quest for knowledge as being your your reasoning for, for asking for information and trying to get people to, to help you, uh, it, you know, that's certainly better than, hey, I'm, I'm running a business and I'm looking for advice. I think that people are generally still really helpful and really friendly, and and if you're authentic and and you have good intentions, that people will take the time and and they'll they'll answer questions for you and they'll help mentor you and and um, you know generally just be really good people. Yeah, it's a good community. Yeah, no, I found the same thing. I think a lot of people, especially when you're just starting, you feel like 
you feel afraid to ask, I guess. You don't you don't feel like you have uh, the right to, to bother these people, but in most cases, people are very, very willing. Now, Dine started out with um, four founders. There were four of you, right? Um, and mm -hmm. it looks like there's just two of you left. I'm curious, what were some of the challenges that you might have run into with the four of you making decisions and trying to decide where to take the company? Was there a lot of difficulty in making those choices, or did you feel like you were able to get along pretty well? Like any you know, set of relationships, it's it, they they evolve and and they have high points and low points. Uh, you know, we had one one co-founder leave in 04, uh, one co-founder left in 06, and, and one co-founder that actually left last year. Uh, and so, just like uh, just like life cycles, there's there's a beginning and end. Uh, but I think that one of the things that you really take home from co-founders and and the evolution of companies, uh, I mean, there's a lot of conversation around uh, minimal viable product and lean startup and bootstrapping and, and we certainly have I think a lot uh, you know the, the lot that we think about because you know, it really helps you build a long-term sustainable business but the the messiness of people is kind of the way I like to think about it yeah. that is really an underestimated and really underappreciated uh, piece of, of running a company and and how an executive team gets together and how a leadership team gets together and how co-founders get together and every time a co-founder leaves a company or the dialogue of two co-founders or, or, you know, in, in the beginning, four co-founders, uh, any time that one of them has divergent opinions from the other about company direction, from a product perspective or from kind of a you know, scale perspective or a growth perspective, it, it, you know, it really calls in a question of whether the company can, can be a, a, you know, an ongoing firm. And... You know, we we learned. I learned a lot through um, each of those transitions. Um, you know, some some better than others, uh, but I, I think that they ended up well. And and certainly our users and customers and and employees, um, you know, they're 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 pretty happy with the the continuation that that really a company and a corporation represent, which is you know it's supposed to outlive its its uh its founders, which I think is a really cool and exciting thing. Yeah. Um, what are some ways that you're continuing to to grow and to learn personally? Do you do a lot of reading of books, listening to podcasts, um, any favorite blogs that you read? I go through phases on on both uh, reading. It's kind of funny because uh, we have somebody that I work with who doesn't like the books, and he's a big sports person, and he actually quoted something from a uh, from a Bill Belichick book. And so knowing that he was a sports guy, I played played football in college. Um, I read the book and and I quoted something else from it. And he, uh, you know, a few months later, and he looked at me all you know, kind of funny, like, "What the heck? What is that?" I was like, "Oh, well, that that Bill Belichick uh, book." And, and for people who don't know, he's the the, the coach of the um, of the Patriots. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's like, "Oh, well, I haven't read it. I just you know kind of skimmed through it. I heard about this quote." <laughs> and it's just kind of a funny <laughs> funny story where uh, you know you, you try to learn how other people communicate and how other people work and and and, and different ways to connect with with each other. But um, you know, podcasts. Um, and, uh, you try to. I try to consume content as much as I can. And again, that, that kind of goes in phases. Uh, but the other way that, that I think you you learn a lot is is through people. Mm -hmm. um, and so it can be your peers uh, in terms of going around and saying, Hey, what are the? How can I be helpful? What roadblocks are people running into? Uh, you know, the the walking around or management by walking around is is certainly a uh, um, in, in a knowledge based environment is certainly really helpful. Uh, customers, 
other CEOs of companies and, and the, the, the challenges that they run into. And, and uh, you know, certainly uh, you, know, it's, it, you can't talk to customers enough because they, they have great insight for how you're helping them, how you're adding value, and, and they're ultimately the boss. So I mean, they're, the, they're, the, they're the most important constituent to find out how the company doing. Now, you have a board now with uh, taking outside investment and um, got some pretty good people on that board from, from the looks of it. I'm just curious, I guess, what, what kind of influence have they had in making decisions and um, just thinking about the company? What's that been like? We definitely have a, you know, a, different, a different way in which the company was created and, and, and how our governance structure has been set up. Uh, I think that few companies get the, the luxury of, of picking um, or, or constructing a board you know, so late in their in their mm-hmm. history. Uh, and, and so really, I think that we have a, a really phenomenal uh, group of people. Uh, we, have, we have a couple that I'd say are you know, kind of have that, that dreamer, uh, small company, you know, really innovative, disruptive approach. Uh, we have a couple of people that are you know, probably you know, similar to our scale and, and really help us think about the operational characteristics, the, you know, the, the blocking and tackling of, of things that we need to accomplish over the next couple of years, and then a couple of people who are really at the, the enterprise level, uh, you know, Fortune 2500 in, in size and scale. Uh, so, the, I mean, just a great group of people to kind of collaborate with. Uh, we're, we're about a year into that, uh, and so I, I think it's still... You know, it's still both honeymoon period and kind of the norming stage, um, but it's been fun to watch that group of individuals have both collective opinions and also uh, with the, within them uh, dissenting opinions. Uh, so I think it's just been a, another great group to, to really kind of increase the crispness of, of Dime's decision making and, and how we think about uh, opportunities that are presented in front of us and, and really just make the company a lot stronger. Yeah. Now, did you have a board of advisors before you formed your uh, your board of directors, or is this really the first time that you've had this kind of outside of, I guess, advice? We uh, had a technical board of advisors. I think okay. it was probably over six to eight, and it was a good group, and it was certainly helpful. Uh, but you know, we kind of kept asking them more about business advice and, yeah. and you know, company direction, uh, and so I think we we fooled ourselves in some ways into. Uh, Saying, oh well, it's a technical board of advisors, so it's you know we're we're okay on the on the business operations side, but uh, you know the the real the real console that we we really enjoyed was the was the business advice about well you know, should we go this direction this direction mm-hmm. how should we talk about the company and you know when I think about that group which was a little bit small it was four individuals versus today where it's it's six external individuals mm-hmm. uh, with a, the CEO also on the board uh, that that has been a great kind of group to, to both learn from and to be mentored by and, and really I mean you want to show up and, and you want to it, it, it puts a different level of accountability on, on on the CEO and also on the on the executive team about presenting hey this is the reason why this company is, is really exciting and doing doing great things um, so in some ways it was good practice to have kind of an, a smaller you know maybe less accountability to a advisory group but you know a real board that that has some that has like you know, real authority and, and kind of governance over the company. It's it it, it if anything, it, it makes you prepare and it makes you want to uh, um, you know know what, know what you're talking about when you show up. Yeah. Um. What's it been like? I guess. I mean, how many employees do you have right now at at Dine? We are getting close to 300. Wow. 
what's it been like, I guess, scaling from, I mean, only the four of you at the beginning to the point where it's this large? I mean, I guess you had more time than some startups that are raising venture capital now um, and scale so quickly. But I guess, what's that process been like? I'd say that the milestones that are most significant is, is kind of your first couple employees, uh, your first managers, where you're where you're either hiring or promoting people who are managing others, so you're not directly managing everybody in the company, mm -hmm. and then over 50 up to about 75, where where you don't really know everybody, mm -hmm. uh, and then kind of the difference between 200 and 300, I haven't really. Uh, haven't noticed terribly. I, I'd actually say that as a company, there's there's probably a greater sense of cohesion today than there was probably you know called six or nine months ago. Mm -hmm. And and I just think maybe it's because there's we've gotten better as a company thinking about the internal systems and the internal scale functions of corporate communications and, and talking about our mission and talking about customers at kind of a real high level and not just assuming that the kind of people pick it up by osmosis. But I mean every year the you know the job description changes. The holiday parties get get bigger. Um, the, we do a, a monthly all hands, and we used to have everybody in the next in the last month who started dying, you know, to introduce themselves. We can't do that anymore because otherwise it'd be the whole hour. Um, <laughs> and so there's some there's some real excitement about that because uh, you know we we keep joking about especially the early employees. Hey, I wouldn't get hired here today because we continue to try to hire smarter people and 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 kind of up our game and think about how we, we continually uh, you know, find better and more talented people and invest in the, the talent base that we have. Uh, and, and so it's, it's just it's a really cool experience. Um, you know, sometimes it means that what you do changes and it, and it changes in a dramatic way and, and, and that's uncomfortable for some people, uh, which I, you know, kind of goes back to the messiness where there's, there's really no right answer. There's not a right answer of, hey, I, you know, I want to be a subject matter expert, and I want to be really good at software design or databases or, or UX or uh, or any of that, or I want to help uh, coordinate this company and make sure that we're leading it in a strategic direction that's, that's most meaningful and impactful for our customers. Uh, so that it, it really takes a lot of soul searching and, and a lot of perspective because in a high, fast growth company, it you know there is a lot of change, and the only certainty is that. You know what you're doing today is probably not going to be exactly what you're doing 12 months from now, or even six months from now. Um, if you had it to do over again, do you think you would still bootstrap Dine rather than trying to raise VC money and maybe accelerate more quickly? What What do you think are some of the advantages to doing it the way you did, um, as well as the disadvantages? There's no right right or wrong way. I mean, I remember having this conversation with somebody who who was. Um, uh, you know, institutionally backed pretty early on, and I said, "Oh, it'd be really cool to have a company that's institutionally backed." And he said, "Oh, it'd be really cool to have a company that was bootstrapped." <laughs> and and I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer. Um, I got to learn a lot more along the way because I, mm -hmm. I had to master more roles and, and kind of the executive team had to be more adaptive. Uh, so in some ways, it, it made us really think about what we wanted to accomplish. Uh, it made us. And, and maybe this was more the pro side, is is that it makes you really focus on your customer as your funding source. That if you're creating value, your customers will will pay for it, and that's that's a wonderful thing because there is an economic value. And you know, on on the con, you know, in some ways, like the 
the, the success on how much you raise and who you raise it from, there might be a little bit too much. Um, kind of, uh, I, I don't want to say that it's wrong, but it, but but in some ways, I think that those that is that the, the the customer success and the product success and, and the team success isn't as celebrated at, at the same level as oh, so and so just raised you know X million dollars. And it's a, I get it. I mean, it's a signaling thing of like, oh, this company's onto something, and, and, it's, and it's great. But I sometimes think that our that our culture of of, of fundraising and and is maybe a little bit too celebrated. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the, the downside thing. is that it. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, but 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 the downside is that it takes longer, uh, especially if you have a market opportunity that that's that's a lot shorter. Um, it, it means that you, the team has to have a lot more flexibility and, and a lot more wherewithal, uh, and it means you have to be, you know, maybe a little bit more frugal. And so, you know, there's a little bit more iteration that goes on in the in the business plan. But they're just different ways of of running the company, and you know, there's there's no right or wrong answer. Uh, I've certainly given advice. Hey, you should you should go look for, uh, you know, a big fundraise because you have a great opportunity, and there's some network effect issues that that you have. And I've also given some advice of like, you know, you should you should really kind of be uh, manifest destiny and, and run your own show and, and that's more meaningful and, and your business is, is more applicable to something that's not institutional. So there's there's, there's different ways of running companies. Um, now, it probably didn't take too long before you realized you were going to have to build out a sales team to really grow the company. Did you have any experience doing that, or did your other co-founders have any sales background or experience building a team like that? Um, how did you know exactly how to structure commissions and incentives, and I guess what goes into building something like that? <laughs> well, it took it took longer than, uh, than this. This is a forgotten year at Dine. Uh, <laughs> so we, you know, we. After after the departure of our second co-founder, we said, "Oh, we have some cool technology, and and maybe we could uh, take this up market." And uh, we built this technology that was AnyCast load balancing and geolocation and internet routing, and like all, all this really great stuff. And put up a website, kind of the end of 07 and early 08, and we waited, and we waited, and nobody bought anything. So we said, "Oh, well, we should go hire salespeople." And uh, we hired a couple of salespeople, and, and, and they were uh, they were actually managed by a developer. Um, happens to happen to be my wife. Um, it was the first kind of head of sales and marketing. We, we happen to work together, and that's, that's certainly an interesting story of working with your spouse. <laughs> so we we did that for a while, and, and they were kind of on a commission plan. It was it was more it was more of a uh, a bonus structure, and. We had no idea what kind of salespeople we were looking for, so we, we found somebody who was much more your transactional salesperson, and they were uh, actually sold furniture, and then another person who uh, worked in the uh, the telco industry, so more similar to, to what we were doing and kind of understood the value proposition. And we just let them loose, and we had we had really no expectations, and we said, hey, we're not gonna uh, we're not gonna cut your job if you don't hit quota uh, month one. We're gonna let this go for a while and see what happens. And you know, they started having some traction. They were they were paying for themselves. And we started talking to them about commission plans. And they're like, well, you know, I really don't know. Like people just give me commission plans. Uh, and so anyway, it wasn't wasn't working terribly well, uh, well, or it wasn't you know we weren't seeing them kind of continue to ramp. So we said, oh, well, we should maybe hire a, a real head of sales. So we hired a real head of sales who is now our, our chief revenue officer and 
in uh, in 09, early 09. You know, basically, started uh, a little bit in 08, and you know just continued to refine both the commission plan, the value proposition. It it took a while, and we we discovered a lot of things by accident that probably most people would just be able to say, oh well, this is just kind of how you do it. Uh, and again, this is like one of those things you do if if you you hire really talented smart people <laughs> that they just walk in the door and they know what's going on and um, you know, we found more of a kind of a second co-founder rung, um, who's, who's now basically our executive team. So it took a little bit longer, perhaps, but uh, you know, we, we we proved a lot of things that didn't work along the way, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, and ultimately you did figure it out. So, um, yeah. what are some of the challenges you'd say that you faced? Maybe not being in one of the major tech centers, not being in Silicon Valley or in New York or or that sort of thing. Um, and what would you say are the advantages too of of maybe not being in those areas? I'd say that the geography has, you know, like almost any place with geography, it has its advantages and disadvantages. Uh, so we're 50 minutes from Boston. Boston has a great tech scene, a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, New England in general is pretty parochial about distance. So the fact that we're in Manchester, there's I don't know. Somebody told me there's like 12 towns between here and Boston. Like, well, I haven't really taken the time to count between Manchester, London, Derry, Derry, Salem, Wyndham, uh, you know, whatever the other ones are. But I, I think that if the states are bigger, people have less of a sense of geography or, or kind of a boundary. Where in the Bay Area, you go from north to south, it's you know a lot of hours. The not being in the urban center. Uh, kind of in the, in the suburbia area, and we're in a pretty urban area. There was um, you know, a big textile mill, so there's you know millions of square feet of these these uh, giant uh, brick, beautiful industrial mills that have all gotten refurbished. Uh, you know, people are, you know, the, we're, we get to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond in, in terms of the local geography, which means that our, our work-life harmony is probably a little bit stronger. Uh, there's great amenities of, of lakes, and mountains, and oceans. And of course, everybody gets to say those type of things. Um, but you know, there's also a great, you know, kind of tradition of, of tech companies. Of uh, digital equipment used to be around here, uh, you know, uh, so there's a lot of uh, ex-tech people. Cabletron, EMC is, is just down the road. I mean, so there's a lot of these these really great uh, pillar technology companies that are, in this, are they're basically in our backyard. Um, so it means that we got to be, a, you know, kind of an anchor employer in the, the town that we're in, but we're still pretty close to the MIT, the Harvards, the Northeastern, the WPIs, UMass Lowell's, uh, all those. Uh, we enjoy it, and, and you know, maybe it's not for everyone, um, but you know, from a pay perspective and kind of efficiency perspective, we we get to have our talent for for a little bit less because cost of living is a little bit less, but we still get to play on a on a very global international scale. Um, okay, and I think we're going to wrap up now, but I'm wondering if you have one piece of advice that you would give to other entrepreneurs who are bootstrapping their businesses and really trying to make things work, one thing that that you would have really benefited from hearing. Probably the best advice is, is make sure you spend time on the business, and it's a very cliche thing. Uh, but make sure you get out, and you, you, you talk with people, and, and you... You don't stay hyper focused in in your particular area or your particular niche because when you look at the outside world of how you know pharma companies work or how metal companies work or how a lot of other companies work, you realize that the same problems exist in every business. 
you know, how do you how do you show and prove value? How do you recruit great teams? How do you communicate the direction of the company? And how do you make sure there's money in the bank? I mean, we're all dealing with the same issues and, and wrestling with them. So make sure you get out and spend time with people and 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 keep up with them because they're they're all trying to figure out just like you are. And you know, we all all put our pants on one leg at a time. Uh, and, and it's easy to lose sight of that. Uh, so have have fun with it too. I guess it's yeah. a, a two piece of advice. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, well, thank you for spending the time with us, Jeremy. We really, really appreciate it. Um, if people want to see what you're up to. I imagine they can follow you on Twitter. They can follow me on Twitter um, at J Hitchco, J H I T C H C O, or drop me an email. I'm at J E R E M Y at D Y N dot com. Wonderful. Thank you again, Jeremy. Continued success with Dine. Thanks so much. Cool. I think that wraps cool, man. up. Perfect. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> great job, guys. That's great. Oh, thanks. It was good. Good line of question. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Cool. It'd be awesome if you follow up and just kind of follow up and maybe later on down maybe in a few more months or maybe next year, just kind of see how things are going and dying and how things are evolving. I'm sure it'll be a wonderful interview just to follow up. So that'd be awesome if you could do, do this interview again. Yeah, well, uh, I'll, I'll look for that. And sounds good. And, um, you know, if you have any questions or other things you want to get clarification on or, um, uh, you know, feel free to hit me up on it. Cool. So we'll look for that in the next couple of weeks. And, yeah. And uh, that's awesome. And then uh, happy holidays until then. Yeah, you too. Merry Christmas. Yep. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Talk yep, to have later. a good day. You too. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For a complete transcript of this episode or to find previous episodes, visit our website at businessdesignpodcast.com. Have a question or comment? Email us at questions at businessdesignpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for Business Design Podcast. And follow us on Twitter for updates between episodes.